0: Welcome to the AEW Dynamite review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamblett and Michael Sidgwick, so to look back on everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Where we not only review AEW Dynamite but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week, complete with a bloody good quiz of course on wrestle culture. as I said though joined by Sidgwick and Hamflet to review AEW Dynamite and I think the word of the day Michael Sidgwick is momentum
1: momentum is in fact the word of the day look if there wasn't literally one floor flub or wonky moment in every match except the trios which was really compact and fun this would have been a 10 out of 10 it was merely an 8.78 8, if we're going on the pitchfork scale mm-hmm. <laughs> They did the hard bit. They flubbed the weird bits, like two genuinely really experienced and respectively great pro wrestlers in Malachi Black and Dustin Rhodes had a few wonky moments in their match. That was the odd bit that just you can't account for. They did the hard, nigh on impossible bit, AEW, in that they maintained the euphoric, white-hot feeling that is this product at the moment. It was, in that way, the perfect follow-up. Loads of interesting new directions were teed up. But it wasn't just a table-setting episode. Mm. Those new directions felt instantly alive, instantly hot, and the, just the vibe was maintained, and that's the hard, crucial, successful bit.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I got from this show, Hanfley, in terms of the fact that I think maybe uh, you know I'm just n- misremembering it, but I can't remember a time when they've had a great pay-per-view and then immediately a really good dynamite f- building on from that. They've had great pay-per-views and then sort of middling dynamites, and they've had you know, issues with pay-per-views in the past, the Exploding Ring, for example, and then recovered on the Dynamite. But this just seems seamless and what a time to be, Really hitting their stride.
2: Yeah, I wonder how great in retrospect those, I think at the time we called them table setting post pay per view dynamites might look, considering that they happened with no crowd mm. the empty dailies place or the very limited attendance dailies place. Because you had an awesome crowd tonight, a hot crowd. Like we're talking, like there's always talk about bad crowds in wrestling. And I'm a believer that like a good product will make for a good crowd. And that was obviously part of it tonight. There was just a crowd that were very, very excited to watch the show. One of the hottest crowds since they came back. And I do wonder now if some of those 2020 those pay-per-view dynamites would have gone down just like this. Mm. Yeah, That excitement over new directions, the excitement that you were glad to see off the back of the pay per view so the things that you wanted to see carried forward or whatever. In this case, with All Out, you were carrying forward, like the best pay-per-view they've ever done, one of the great wrestling pay-per-views. Um, as Cedric pointed out, maintenance is a really hard job. It's a tough thing to do in wrestling, to sustain all that heat and all that excitement. Didn't even feel like they gave loads away, but everything you got was immensely satisfying. A greater whole... Will always be better than awesome individual moments. And that's absolutely where we're at with AEW as a company right now, let alone some of the individual things we're going to dive into here.
0: Well, yeah, let's dive straight into the show. No Excalibur on commentary. He's got an upcoming wedding. He's replaced by Taz and more than adequate replacement. Uh, We got a recap, of course, of everything that went out down at All Out. And then we got immediately Malachi Black versus Dustin Rhodes. Like Sid said, just. Iffy bits in there, but we'll talk about it. They immediately go straight after each other, of course. Uh, Dustin actually takes control, gets some clotheslines, atomic drop in there. Um, goes to the floor with Malachi Black. Thinks about a destroyer, but Malachi Black fights out and back suplexes Dustin through a table, uh, which sort of injures Dustin's leg. That's going to be a key point that Malachi Black will focus on. He'll target throughout the match. Um, later on, once Dustin's got back into the ring, beating the camp, Black puts him in a choke, transitions wonderfully, rolls through into a heel hook. Uh, Dustin has to fight and get to the ropes. Um, And then as he's trying to recover in the match, Uh, Malachi Black kicks leg out of his leg. Um, Dustin goes for, I think, a hammer throw attempt or something, collapses on it, uh, and Black does a whole, are you not entertained? Which gets a great reaction from the crowd. Uh, Dustin does eventually you know, fight through the pain, hits shoulder tackles, hits a snap power slam, gets a near fall. Black gets a near fall from a running knee, uh, and then Black goes to the outside, goes under the ring, and pulls out Cody Rhodes' boot. He brings it in. He Taunts Dustin with it. This fires up Dustin yet again. Hits that drop-down right-hand. Canadian Destroyer. Great near fall off the back of that. Dustin goes for running Bulldog, but Black counters it. Uh, Earlier on in the match, he'd exposed the turnbuckle. He sends Dustin Rhodes into the exposed turnbuckle. Nails him with that spinning kick of his. Blood all over Dustin Rhodes' mouth and face. And Malachi Black stands victorious yet again. What do you think, Hamlet?
2: I like... This match, I like this match more for what AEW is than what this match was. Um, You mentioned the, are you not entertained? And I think there was loads of that from Malachi Black in the match. Like every time the camera cut to him, it might be WWE training that he knows how to find it. But like like the camera found his face and he would just pull this like dark, twisted smile that you just feel only exists in a company where expression like that is allowed. In WWE, it would have been like, the dark character. So it wouldn't have been permitted that he could flash a smile, even though it adds immensely to who mm. this guy is, how much he enjoys his awful work and these things he's doing to the, the Rhodes family and indeed Dustin here. Um I thought like I thought the match risked um being a bit of a draggy start to dynamite when it was clunky. Um, I, ju- like, I thought they're going to lose this crowd here because it's kind of like, there's a f- couple of flubs and uh, it doesn't really seem like they're necessarily on the same page Dustin felt his age here and he doesn't always that's kind of the magic of watching Dustin Rhodes work Um, but again, it's AEW's, like the way AEW promotes pro wrestling was what made this match so great Black felt like a megastar, the entrance is not going to get old for a very, very long time and it just kept the crowd hot throughout the crowd were very patient with the flubs to the point where they came back around for that Canadian destroyer Again, I just want to go back to like what AEW is. Dustin Rhodes is hitting a Canadian destroyer. Yeah. Malachi Black can put Cody's boot under the ring and how that can play into the match. I just feel like all this stuff is what this company thinks of wrestling. And I enjoyed it so much more as a presentation as a result. The Black Mass sucked. When does like other than that one obvious um Lars Sullivan botch, when has that ever sucked? Mm. black match sucked here it was a, a gentle beat to the shoulder that the commentators couldn't even really disguise, I think Taz was there didn't get all of it and I think Jim Ross wasn't having any of that, but it didn't really matter because the overall experience was just immensely satisfying what you saw was what you liked and I don't have any worries about the black character as a result of a finish gone slightly awry, a tremendous presentation of a match that I wouldn't necessarily want to sit through again
1: uh, Yeah, it's just an execution issue, the story was tight In theory, like, really logical, really well done. A lot of lovely details sprinkled with the boot. Um, Dustin Rhodes fighting through a dead leg. He sold it tremendously to hit the Destroyer. Did, in fact, make that great near fall because it was like, what else did he have to do? He was Dustin Rhodes. He fought through that pain. He bit through it, did an actual kill shot of a move, and it's still not enough. Like, all of that, in theory, builds Malachi Black. But the 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 issue was with the execution. Ultimately, everything that they laid out was almost perfect. The bit where it almost would have worked if Malachi Black had just been on the wavelength of Dustin Rhodes when he was meant to like cling onto the ropes and rebound mm. and Dustin Rhodes wouldn't have looked like a tit. I hate saying that he looked like a tit, <laughs> but he did look like a tit when he did the Phantom Scoop Slam. Mm. It would have looked awesome if they had, had timed that perfectly, but because it was so acute in its ambition, he looked silly trying to pull that off. The Black mass sucked. There are a few other, like, just rope-run wobbles, but again, it's all in the execution. And here is a macro issue that AW encountered here, and has encountered in certain other situations in the past. We saw it with FTR and Santana and Ortiz. We see it quite often on these television shows because they don't run a house show loop. And they didn't do this before the pandemic either. What every promotion in history pretty much has done and most still do is that they do road two shows or live events wherein they can get the two wrestlers in the ring or the two acts in the ring, allow them to get their match, get their chemistry, get the muscle memory, and then they can have it on telly. In and out kinks, isn't it? In and out kinks. um, And they can do that on pay-per-view or on television. AEW doesn't do this, and not for the first time, this philosophical idea, and a great idea, don't burn people out, they let the wrestlers have a much more lenient schedule that allows them to theoretically go full pelt when it counts, when the cameras are on, maybe it's not the best idea and a balance needs to be found because we see a lot of new combinations of wrestlers entering the ring on dynamite, and this Plagues the experienced, you can't find a more experienced pairing Mm. than Malachi Black and Dustin Rhodes on this roster. Unless it was like Jericho versus Dustin Rhodes, but you get what I'm saying. And this often, the byproduct of the schedule is matches like this at times, but it says something about how hot the Malachi Black character is that ultimately very little of this mattered.
0: Uh, That was followed by a promo video from the Lucha Bros. They said their championships cost them blood, sweat, and tears. Phoenix says, finally, the tag tiles were the best tag team in the universe. And Penta says, anyone who's willing to suffer has to take a shot at them and take them from them, basically. Zero miedo. Uh, And then we get a video from Eddie Kingston. Calls that Miro for his cheating, of course, in their match at All Out. He says, "If you know anything about God, He has no favorites. When it rains, it pours on the wicked and the righteous alike." Uh, Miro says, "Eddie couldn't handle the heat when he realized that you can't hurt a man chosen by God. He's going to offer Kingston's broken bones to his wife and his soul to God." Yeah, just run it back, Sage.
1: Yeah, run the run the promo back, and it's still awesome. So run back the match and um, do it in Arthur Ashe. Yeah, switch the title over to Kingston. I've the sentimental run. Quite short-lived, I would say, because realistically, what you want out of a babyface like Eddie Kingston is to totally capitalize on
0: his wonderful babyface qualities by then giving it to a heel. That's
1: personally what I would
0: do. We might we might delve into this maybe over the weekend. We've got lots to discuss with AEW. We still haven't really settled on a topic for us to, to sit down and chat about. But maybe it could be someone like Cole, or does that diminish it? You know, it's weird because it's the TNT Championship, so my WWE brain goes for well, mid-card title, but it's obviously no. not a mid-card title. It's, you know, they've discussed the fact it's on a par with it. Could it be someone like Cole that has a, an instant elevation of like, oh, I'm really happy that you're happy that Eddie Kingston's got the title, but Adam Cole's going to take it off him, and you have some promos between the two of them as well.
1: Yeah, that would be awesome. It would fold Eddie Kingston back into the orbit of the elite because that kind of fizzled out Unsatisfactory. Yes. So yeah, why the hell not? But there's too many over guys. It's a luxurious problem. It's a selection headache that I've talked we about. We get this tweet
0: often with the news as well of like, is there too many good guys bottleneck at the top? And I was like, I'd rather that than me and Benroy on Monday going, who's Lashley going to face at Extreme yeah. Rules because there's no one there.
2: I've got your opponent for taking Eddie Kingston's title, John Moxley.
0: Oh, he's taking, him, he's taking it home
2: to Ruthie and Moxley's taking it away.
1: Ah. Oh. Uh, my lineage. We were talking about this in the office earlier this week. Would be Miro Kingston MJF. but MGF looks like it's got two other programs potentially <laughs> here. Uh, three were kind of three were built, four were teased. We'll get to that imminently.
0: Yeah, CM Punk uh, was out next. He was uh, cutting a promo following his his return to the ring, of course, at All Out. He thanks Darby Allin. He thanks Stings. He thanks the fans. He talks about wrestling being like riding a violent bicycle. He's back. He gets a... You still got it, chant. Um, he kind of hated it. <laughs> <laughs> he um, is excited as the rest of us about John Moxley versus Minoru Suzuki later. He says he's going to be watching as a fan. He spies uh, Aunt Linda in the audience, who rate the one who raised Brian Pillman, of course calls her an angel. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he's talking about all the people that arrived at all, Out, listing all these newcomers. Uh, obviously, big. Yes, chant for one Brian Danielson. He said the first punk, first person he texted was uh, his wife, April, following the match. And she asked him, What's next? So he decided to live leave it up to the crowd. Uh, you know, names are being thrown out. Moxley's name is obviously one of the ones you you, you hear. Um, but before he can get to what's next, Taz gets on the mic, he's on commentary, he interrupts, uh, he says, look, he's tired of this BS love fest that Punk's been putting on. He says, don't you mention anyone from Team Taz? He said, "I did." Punk says, I didn't. I wasn't going to, but all right, whatever. And he says, yeah, keep them out of your mouth. Out comes Huck, which is the, you know, the dream match. I'll probably say that for pay per you. And Powerhouse Hobbs, who's going to match in a second as well. Um, he is he's very excited. He mentions Ricky Starks. He says, send Starks. Um, and he says, he says, basically, well, send whoever you want. Beat me if you can survive if I let you. Where have I heard that before? What did you think, Hamlet?
2: Oh, I love all of this, man. Like, what we had, like, four promos in a match. Is this maybe the greatest comeback in wrestling history so far? Because it doesn't feel like it's cooling. Um, you kind of acknowledged didn't, in the last promo before the Darby Allin match that, like, some people were getting bored of the happy CM Punk return. Tour. Yeah. This was surely the bringing together of both of those things. This is how you do happy to be back CM Punk versus, uh, sorry, in line with... I'm ready to fight and I want to start beating people and I want to start rising up the rankings and taking on these young people and testing myself, all this sort of thing. Setting up Ricky Starks as an end game is such is the perfect next match off the back of like the Derby Allen one in the the big CM Punk picture. All the young guys that he's got to beat on this like long, exhausting journey back to the top. Um Team Taz in the meantime exist again perfectly as a vehicle. It's an opponent factory for him, whether it be in tags, in trios, in singles, whatever it is, all of them are interesting. All of the combinations they think of are cool. Um, I thought the interplay between Taz and Punk was clunky, but again, like, AW fosters this sort of, like, conversational style. They can talk over each other and fans will be with it. I even think, I said this to in the office morning. I even think internally they were worried that the messenger didn't cut through because, like, Tony and uh, Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross brought it up later on. Like, I approve of nothing. And it was just like, somebody in the headset said, I think we need to make it a bit clearer that CM Punk's feuding with Team Taz. But they got it across. Mm. And again, like, the lack of exposition was so pleasing. AEW have shown themselves to be the actual gatekeepers of pro wrestling rather than telling you with a network with all the brands on the WWE. You've got CM Punk said, like, I've got a lot of respect for you. And then later on said, beat me if you can, survive if I let you. He didn't say... I remember watching you in ECW and you used to say, yes. beat me if you can't survive if i let you. And I'm going to do that because I'm the voice that it was just like, everybody knows what's going on here. You know, this was off the back of CM Punk, referencing Aunt Linda in the front and Dark Side of the Ring. And, like, I'd like to get to that later on as well, about, like, where that sort of factors in elsewhere. But all of these things just keeps coming up. Um, it doesn't matter where you worked before. The the company is going to trust the audience to know what people are talking about or speak to somebody else that does or listen to a great podcast like this one just to help, like, all the gaps get filled in and they never patronize you with that. So I love what they set up in KFA, But again, I love that, like, this is the environment that a CM Punk should be in. Every time he interacts, this was just the same as with Sting, every time he interacts with somebody that you just never imagined he was interacting with, like now at Taz, and then at the complete opposite end of that, a powerhouse Hobbs. You just get this little like gooey feeling like, well, I never thought that would happen. Like you thought it was Sting because the two legends coming together. It's not. It's CM Punk versus about forty guys. (laughs) And it's just so cool that they've got it and this is the perfect playground for it. Loved it.
1: I said this on Twitter. But the mega fans will forgive me.
2: And <laughs> speaking
1: of mega fans, I would like to extend the happiest of birth- birthday wishes to yeah. Matt Raines and Sarah.
0: Two-thirds of this podcast would love to say happy birthday to Happy him. birthday,
1: Sarah. <laughs> 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 now, I hope you both have absolutely phenomenal days. I'm sure this uh, dynamite helped to elevate your mood. Uh, happy, happy, happy birthday. We value your support enormously. But I said this on Twitter. Mega fans will forgive me. Taz is the best recurring Seinfeld character. If you've not seen Seinfeld... It's this wonderful, incredible sitcom about etiquette and manners and how one should interact in social situations. And people who do not do it just sends them off. It absolutely sends the characters off, George Costanza most notably. It's an absolutely wonderful source of comedy. Jerry Seinfeld put it more succinctly than I ever could. People getting angry is funny. Mm. It just, when people lose their cool, instantly... It's just hilarious. Taz is absolutely hilarious. And it works so well in the context of episodic wrestling TV because it's meant to just drive conflict. Sometimes it's convoluted. Sometimes it's wonderful. Sometimes it's sudden. Sometimes it's obligatory. But that's what it exists to do. It's for titles. But yes, it's American soapy TV. You have to drive conflict. Is there literally anybody better at Taz at doing it more quickly and more convincingly? Mm. He's such a short-tempered guy. <laughs> give me a mic With, was thrilling, wasn't <laughs> it? Yeah.
2: JR, give me a mic. Like, he was, like, sick of this from seeing him like that. His
1: fuse is so short, and he's so genuinely, easily rattled. And it's wonderful that he can make a mortal enemy out of anyone when he does— when that person gives him the most perceived slight. I'll, I'll kill you, <laughs> and I'll send that goons <laughs> on you, prick. So Taz is perfect. Perfect in this role. Who should
0: I face next? He's talking about people. Well, there are people in Team <laughs> <laughs> It's
1: fantastic because he was talking about and like you know, I was like, "This bullshit." Like any of that word's fantastic. And you had and this is a wonderful. Again, it just feels so real, even though it's this corny, fabricated universe. CM Punk has been on Twitter well before he signed, saying Dobbs, Hobbs, Starks, and. Taz remembered that because there's a real world that they are all completely in tune with. I need to mention his son. Yeah, yeah, left yeah absolutely. Son like, uh, absolutely. Left his son out. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So when he was going through these days, he goes, ah, keep team Taz out of your mouth. He's like, well, I didn't say anything. Not oh, social media, you have. <laughs> yeah, Twitter, <laughs> Dick. Like just, ah, oh, absolutely class. The prospect of the food is great. Uh, Brian Cage is kind of dead in the water at this point, but... God damn it, we kind of knew that. Anyway, uh, Punk versus Starks would be absolutely fabulous. Fabulous stuff. Yeah. And who better? Oh, Brian Cage. Who better than Starks to get the heat on Punk? That guy at this point, we got the thrilling glimpse of it here, needs to be beaten down badly because there's an element of CM Punk is welcome to AEW Dynamite. And I love how they know how it's coming across because you want to have your cake and eat it too of course you're going to get CM Punk to just talk about anything. It's going to pull ratings. I'm so reassured that they know how this scans at times, and, C- and Taz hates it as much as I hate watching it on Raw, and it's becoming a heat angle at long last.
0: Yeah, you can already see Ricky Starks hoying Punk out of the ring at one point and then sitting in the center of it and just absorbing all the heat.
2: Oh, yeah. There's like so many little things they can do to enjoy what CM Punk has done in the past, let alone what he's doing now. And again, like we talk about, like shared universe storytelling, in AEW all the time. Who else but um, Darby Allen and Sting could CM Punk pick as better partners for dealing with Team Taz for that one trio's match? We've already said that this is going to be this alliance that exists now. You would everyone has friends in AEW, but there's a logic to why you would go back to Darby and Sting because who's put Team
0: Taz in the place better than those two? Yeah. It's a perfect alignment. Uh, promo video from Santana Ortiz talking about being the best, the best, the best. And you could feel that they actually felt it now, having defeated FTR. It sparked something within them, that victory. Now they're going to turn their attention to the rest of the tag team division. Then we're backstage with the, the newly signed Ruby Soho. who's talking about her open challenge. She basically didn't want people to think she just got lucky winning the casino battle royale at All Out. In comes Britt Baker and her entourage. Uh, she says, Soho, you're just a flavor of the month. And uh, so he says, well, let's not forget, I'm one of the people who helped you break into this business. She goes through all of Baker's nicknames and says, I think it's, that's the defense from you know, showing people who you really are. Baker comes back with a zinger saying, why don't you just run away to catering where you've been for the last few years? And uh, Hater's there obviously squaring up to her ahead of their match. And, uh, Ruby Soho tells Tony Schiavone, I know she's your girl, but I'm going to whoop her ass. I loved the runaway line and how they've tied it to
1: heat because that's what pro wrestling functions to do at some point because i'm pedantic i grow weary of i've got an interview and just out of shot it's the person you're having a feud with or a (laughs) match with deeply contrived pro wrestling stuff i want the show to be a 10 out of 10 every week it can be a 10 out of 10 most weeks i would like to see them have a little bit more finesse about the way they engineer the conflicts she and build and the jump matches. From the front. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean. Like it just—if you, in your head, pan out—if you—if your eyes are the camera, which they are—if you pan out and just lean back, you can see them just waiting mm. next to a or like Russian, like on the. Sh- uh, come on, like get a little bit cuter because it's a bit American telly. Mm. and I think Dynamite mostly transcends American TV wrestling. So when you. I don't know, maybe that's just what wrestling is. But I expect a bit of a higher standard. What do you reckon? I think
2: that's a reasonable criticism because I don't think this is the first case of it. Um, this is, you know, something we still hope that the r- that Rampage will help solve, but this is a holdover from the there is too much stuff for two hours of dynamite. Mm. So you would pack in stuff like this. You would like... Often it's really economical, but there's sometimes where it crosses over from being economical to too silly. And I think that's a, like a perfectly rational complaint. Even when, like, the rest is involved or the... I love the delivery. You know, like, the yeah. content is fundamentally good. But, yes, I agree with that. Um, always, like, shoot higher, like, standards. The AEW is as good as it is because we've all got some standards again. And it's a nice thing to to celebrate. Um, some sort of my thoughts on this mainly extend to the match, I guess. Ruby Soho. And it's smarter than, like, I imagine a lot of people would have given them credit for. She, and you could feel it here and then again in the match. She is right now so popular... They have finally found somebody that can make Britt Baker a heel. Yes, like since she's won the belt, they have managed to do that. And it may like this is the first time where somebody winning one of those battle royal opportunities really feels like they're capitalising on that because she's hot and popular, and that's going to really help Britt Baker in this feud, this cycle. I can't say it's going to continue like DMD's justice over machine of a thing, but for the short term at least, I think she's going to get booed. Mm. And great, because you just want that for her, I think, as much as anything
0: else. It's going to help the dynamic of the match. Still, still das down to Ruby Soho, not the casino battle role, which is still dreadful, as we all agree (laughs) on. Uh, Right, then we get powerhouse Hobbs versus Dante Martin, and this played out as you would probably assume it would in terms of Dante's speed and quickness and, you know, athletic ability allowed him to sort of dodge and get out of the way. He drop kicks uh, Hobbs and sends him out of the ring at one point. But then, yeah, it's powerhouse Hobbs. The clue's in the name. Uh, Dante Martin goes for a dive, gets caught, gets sent into the ring post, gets thrown into the barricades as we go to break. When we come back, Dante finally fires up. Hits a shotgun kick. Running sent on, gets a near fall. Hobbs goes to the outside. Dante goes for another dive, but this time Hook uh, jumps up on the apron to Brenton doing that. So Dante decides to flip over Hook to land onto Hobbs. Looks spectacular. Um Dante looks like he might have an opportunity. He Gets Hobbs back in the ring, hits a running kick, uh, but then Hobbs out of nowhere, grabs him, hits a massive spine buster. One, two, three, Michael Hanflet.
2: Just class. Uh, the work was really good, right? But this is what happens when you do the work. And I, I just wish that every wrestling fan that for whatever reason still aren't watching AEW would just watch AEW because this is what happens when you do the work. Dante Martin ran Kenny Omega frighteningly close for a few minutes and felt like came up short, but you remember that. One of AEW's problems for me has been that often you are really, really invested in somebody and then they kind of disappear off the face of the earth and maybe that's on us to watch Dark and Dark Elevation, but you are being told if they're not on Dynamite, then you enjoy that, but they've gone away for a bit. They've not done that with Dante Martin. He had that video package the week after and now he's here again and he's in another losing effort. But the strength of falling short against Kenny Omega and the video package that followed that has basically only furthered to put over powerhouse Hobbs. Nothing is wasted here. Dante Martin doesn't feel like a multiple-time loser. He feels like a guy with all the talent in the world that he's just waiting to put it all together. And Powerhouse Hobbs is moreover as a result of just interacting with him. And they're trying to line up Team tags for CM Punk, so they've all got to feel credible. You've got inevitable tag matches. Like Dante Martin can have loads of singles matches that ultimately set up tag matches. This is a company of alliances. So one of these days, Top Flight are going to have some receipts, and that's going to be cool as well. I just, I love watching, like, this is another one of those great, what a cool diverse roster, where you get the, the quality of the work and the two differing workers. But again, I just love that AEW have done the work, that it doesn't matter what kind of run Dante Martin goes on now, there will come a day where he'll be able to put the whole thing together and it's never going to feel like he's been just losing, losing, losing in there to, like, be mm. on his back for guys. He's going to be a star. And I just I, was, I just found that so effective and so refreshing against... WWE 50 50s everyone in oblivion. I know that seems like a day to take at this point of AW been here for years, but I just think it bears
1: repeating because I think it just made this experience so much more enjoyable. But powerhouse, I love him. I've, I've got like that theme in my head all day. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that this performance does. Um, this is class, this is genuinely class TV fair. Dante Martin is also exceptional. Mm. His ability, like his physics defying ability, his incredible ability played into this match so wonderfully, and not just on offense, like when he was dragged from the second rope and he was just hovering on it and smashed into the post, that was great. Even when he gets flung into the ring, he made powerhouse Hobbs look like literally such a powerhouse because he somehow could control his body into like, it didn't look messy at all, he just flew through that middle and top rope. And it just made powerhouse Hobbs look so powerful. Like he was in literally total control of his opponent. That was great. And it's not just his athleticism, um, Dante Martin, that got this match over. When he got trucked, like I generally thought, oh, that was nasty. And I looked at his face to see, is he okay? And then because I was drawn to his face, he just looked like, oh, my lights have been, I've been knocked spark out here. I've been knocked clean out. That was great. His comeback was great. His levitation <laughs> it's just impossible. And um, This is lush, and what was also lush about it, and I don't want to bury Brian Cage for no reason, but instantly, because of the wonderful sequencing of this show, that, again, on the whole, just raced by in this beautiful way. Clunky at times, but in terms of the, the momentum, it was beautiful. Because Punk is now doing something with Team Taz, because it's Punk... I now feel so much more for team Taz than I did two weeks ago. And that helped enormously. Like that's the difference. I'm sorry. I don't want to bury the guy for no reason, but I'm trying to make a point here. That's the difference between a punk and a Brian Cage.
0: Uh, we get a promo from Dan Lambert, again flanked by Men of the Year. But this time they're not in a ring or in the ring or backstage. They are up in the stands as a spotlight of them. I really like that as a dynamic, actually. Um they're in a box, effectively. Uh he congratulates. <laughs> AW, I'm bringing in a bunch of five foot eight hundred pounds people to distract from the truth, which is that this company only has two real men wrestling in it, Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page. And he concludes by saying, together they will scream their truths, so if there are any tough guys who'd like to shut them up, they better do so soon. Uh, I'm
1: going off Dan Lambert. I'm going off him. His is still very good. It all feels a bit inessential in one note. I don't know what it is about them. I just feel like the the charm of the shtick is waning rapidly. I don't care about the destination. I couldn't sit here and fantasy book that much. I mean, everyone's got the same idea. Archer and Suzuki versus these guys because they've attacked Lance Archer previously. Do you know, the charm's just wearing thin for me in a way that I can't really articulate. Get to the point. Get to the point! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I still got a lot
2: out of this. So I had like a great time with this. Uh, I agree as well. The staging of it is tremendous. They did it on the buy-in as well, is not it? And it, like, just looks superb. Um, I love the idea that Dan Lambert is saying this about the locker room when he might as well be saying it about Scorpio Guy and Ethan Page. Well, these guys are different. Yeah, like there is something about when I used to think this when he was an impact. There is something about this his cadence, and I, I don't know how he controls it. There's a mate of mine called Matthew, and I'm going to get him to listen to this podcast so it becomes like legacy as it is in our group. In a French class, when we were in year eight, millions of years ago, his voice broke midway through saying something. (laughs) He said the words, page 73, when he was, like, naming. (laughs) When when his balls dropped. Aye. That sort of, that age, and we still can grieve for it now. Every time we make up over pints, he gets that about three pints in. Brilliant. And he's had to suffer that ever since. Dan Lambert controls that. Like, he lets his voice go high sometimes. He's like, the son of dorks, like that. And I I love it. I don't know how he manages it, but I just think it's, like, he's getting so angry that he works himself up and has to bring himself down. And then he gets angry all over again. <laughs> and I just, yeah, like, Cedric's right, I think, in the, the the obvious match that we can all see. Maybe he still doesn't feel enough. Like, is this really going to be, like, a long-lasting thing? Have they got more in the tank with this? I don't know. Um, but I'm s- still on the hook because I just think he's so great. Um, you wonder if there was no Tully Blanchard around. Might he have found his way to FTR or mm. something like that? And maybe that's a part of the problem. Maybe, like, the fun that I'm finding and dynamic is not something that's jumping through the screen for other people. But for now, at least, I'm still into it.
0: Right, let's get on to my favourite part of the show. Uh, oh, before that, actually. Uh, Matt Hardy said he was going to shave Orange Cassidy's head, and Orange Cassidy said whatever, and I felt exactly the same as Orange Cassidy, if I'm perfectly honest. I, I
1: felt the exact same thing, and I'm not being funny. Don't do hair versus hair, because you could do hair versus mask with the books and the Lucha Brothers. Like, Andy Murray had the perfect take, and I think the Lucha Brothers themselves have teased mass versus hair as a destination. It's the law of the dickhead facial hair <laughs> and the law of them looking like complete idiots without thinking they look like idiots. They're going to look like actual idiots. Can you imagine the Young Bucks getting shaved bald? There are no better wrestlers in history to sell that than this incarnation. Mm-hmm. You
2: can see you've got shavy beards. Yeah. Like they'd hate that just yeah. as much because of all the work they've done to their beards. Beard versus
0: mass. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> Now, Matt Hardy's got it great. I know he's... I'm jumping ahead. I know he's worn this before, but what the hell is that <laughs> chain thing that, like, goes yes. to his nose? And I was like... I sounded like my parents. I was like, what's the point of all that, though? I just don't get it. Anyway, I'm getting off topic here. We'll get to that anyway, because let's talk about Maxwell Jacob Friedman and that bloody promo. He comes out, Wardlow's there. He explains, look, he's beaten Chris Jericho three times before Sunday, and then he beat him again... But after the bell, the match got restarted. Extreme bias against him. That bias, of course, coming from the fact that everybody wants to be him. He calls the place Sanati. Yep. Not just cheap heat, though, because he says... He means every word that comes out of his mouth when he calls this city the biggest dumpster fire in the world. It's called the Midwest because everything in it, <laughs> such a good line, this, is mid, Skyline Chile, mid, the Reds who haven't won a World Series since 1990. Mid, just like every single person here. And anyone who's got a problem with that, hop over the guardrail and come and beat beat me up. But you won't, will you? Because you're all cowards. And The security and ward but anyway, uh, he turns his attention to Art Linda, who was called an angel. Let's not forget earlier. He says he's knock, he's, he's going to knock her teeth down. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's talks the, he talks to he talks to the the woman who stood next to her. He calls her he calls a Roseanne at one point. Yeah, <laughs> he calls her Roseanne. It he comes down. Rosie and, O'Donnell would have worked as well. Yeah. But he, uh, he comes down and he, she explains that she is Brian Pillman's daughter. And he says, Oh, right, that explains your vile looks then. <laughs> this, of course, brings out Brian Pillman Jr. on the ramp with a mic. He says, Listen, Maxwell, jerk off Friedman. And I don't like you insulting my family. And I don't like you insulting this city. This city breeds badasses like me, like my father, like John Moxley. Uh, he talks about, you know, uh, MJF having a silver spoon in his upbringing and what have you. Uh, he says, welcome to the jungle. <laughs> MJF just stands there and goes, let me get this straight, junior. You thought it was a good idea to go toe-to-toe with me on the mic. He says, your drug-addicted mother, methany. <laughs> <laughs> To which obviously Pillman explodes, slides into the ring, wants to kill him, but it, Wardlow comes in to, to separate them. So Maxwell, the chicken heel that he is, perfectly, is leaning over Wardlow's shoulder, saying, You know what, your mum should have done? You know, she could have produced 500, you know, second generation superstars, but she should have done to you what she did with all the other potential siblings that she did, and that's swallow. Then he says, because because obviously Brian Pillman Junior. is fizzing at this point, understandably, he says, Wardlow, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna help me? Are you gonna help me like you did on Sunday? Wardlow's face, and everyone's like, oh, just just those more those breadcrumbs, please. He says, go and stand over in the corner and look pretty. And he squares up to Pillman. He's just his face is just and really animated, and basically, long story short, he says. I'm going to do to you what your mother should have done to you, and that's a bore. Brian Pillman immediately attacks him, of course, beats him down. Wardlow gets him off him. Takes his sweet time doing it, if I'm perfectly honest. wanders over, get off him. Come on, we've all had a good night, lads. Of course, he comes back, starts fighting MJF again, gets him in the corner. Wardlow grabs him, suplexes him. Oh, thank goodness. Here comes Griff Garrison to make the save. no, Mr. Wardlow clothesline, and his hair goes everywhere. And then he gets held up by Wardlow so MJF can hit him with the beautiful diamond ring. Majestic, this, Siege. That was exactly the word I was going to use. Majestic. MJF versus
1: Wardlow when it happens. When Wardlow finally has enough of this guy's shit is going to be majestic, and that's like the far-off destination. This was an incredible bit of television. So good that I can't think of a single thing WWE has done this year that was more effective in building a pay-per-view match. This is like an undercard match on a TV show. A very big one, but that's essentially what this is. Jesus Christ, this is the kind of promo where when we talk about it, I mean, yeah, it's not on that. Not on that, and then you fire into like your DMs go, oh, "Fucking hilarious!" That <laughs> I like, don't know how much you could say. It was funny out loud, but it was it was genuinely class. And what's class about it is it wasn't just. I mean, it was vile, cheap heat, like incredibly effective. MGF was sensational here. Probably his best work of the entire year on the stick. Yeah, un, like, unbelievable. As I said on Twitter, the mega fans will forgive me. Happy birthday, Matt Reigns and Sarah. He's better than copper at conducting heat. He's (laughs) unbelievable. People hated him. Like they despised him. His stuff was so on the edge. But you know, deep down, he's had a chat with Brian Pillman Jr. before the show, and everything's okay. And Yeah. They got Brian Pillman Jr. over as a opponent worthy of Grand Slam. The goddamn show in the stadium. If you thought yesterday, are they gonna shoot an angle? and Brian Pillman Jr. is going to have a featured singles match at Grand Slam, you'd think, oh, I like him well enough, and he's promising, but come on, make it a pseudo-pay-per-view, you know? And then you see this angle play out, and you're thinking, God, I want Brian Pillman Jr. to kick his head in. Like, what an incredible, incredible segment of TV that just could not have done more to show people MGF as a star. The babyface got the win at the long-term saga. That was probably the best idea. That's what the audience wanted. If there was any inkling, and I didn't feel it, but if there was any inkling, of all oh, of kind of sold MGF short, gets his heat back just like that. What a star he is. What a promo he is. The true measure of a star, and Mean Hamlet know this so well, and we love knowing this so well, is if you're a star, you can get virtually anyone a wacky pirate, a dentist, a caricature of a Japanese professional wrestler and get a great match or a great uh, program out of them. That's what stars do. That's how goddamn great Bret Hart was. <laughs> MGF is that. And I'm not saying Brian Pimble Jr. doesn't have really immense potential, but I've never seen him look like a star like this. And he's worked a main event tag match with the Young Bucks, no less, as well. Mm. Let's not forget that. He's main event at Dynamite. He's been in a big match before. Never has he realized the potential of what he could be when he was stood opposite MGF.
0: And in terms of, you know, we talk about them attracting casual fans or lapsed fans or whatever, if you show this to someone who used to like wrestling and is sort of oh, like it's not difficult to go. I mean, even if, if you they don't really know about Brian Pillman and their backstory there, it's it takes, you know, ten seconds to realise this isn't just your hometown football team sucks or, you know, whatever local team sucks. You are going after and like Remember Brian Pillman? Oh, you're vaguely, that guy looks exactly like him. (laughs) It's so straightforward, this.
2: Yeah, that's a good point, because they're really sort of elegantly, like, obscured exposition within this promo, didn't they? You could show this to somebody that doesn't know anything about any of these people, and they'd probably get the gist. It was the literal opposite of Cheap because this was a money promo that set up a money match. So, like, for MJF to, like, invoke that term specifically was kind of inspired, because he knew what he was doing, what he was about to do, and what he continued to do was the the total opposite of Cheap I loved so much about this. So, like, obviously, every individual line, as recapped, there was just a total blast. You couldn't believe that they were going this far. But it's completely in character as well. Um, I remember when AEW Dynamite began, and we're all kind of clamoring for a bit more of the MJF that we'd seen on the indies, the one that we'd especially been introduced to through being the elite. And we'd only had, like, snatches of it. And I think what they've kind of made me realize, at least over the years, is that you bring this MJF out at the right time, and it's so much more effective. You're not going to get this MJF now again for, let's say, three or four months because he's going to be in programmes. How often did he need to do this, where he just turns on the fans, where he just turns on everybody, where he has a go at Wardlow, because he was in the middle of a feud with Chris Jericho or he was setting up the pinnacle or things like that. This guy that just comes out wanting to scream at the world is this petulant arsehole that's just lost a big match. He did it post-John Moxley as well, when he was talking about like the legitimacy of the defeat and things of that nature. It's just like... Only when he's at his absolute most childish does he come out and just petulantly lash out at anybody he can. So that's why this even made narrative sense. Um, Sidgwick spotted brilliantly as early as 2019 that MJF-Chris Jericho was going to be this legacy rivalry. They've done it again with CM Punk. CM Punk hugs the woman that MJF then threatens to knock the teeth out of. This is the second like direct reference between the two, and CM Punk's been in the company a month. They're going to get to that in a year, whenever it's going to be like... You're the best in the world. How can that be? I'm better than you. Yeah. You know, like, it's it's all there already. And you, know it. <laughs> and you know it. You know, like, it's it's already all there, which is so great. And uh, as, as you point out, you've already got the Wardlow match. You've got this cool thing for Arthur Hatch. So it's done all the business end of the wrestling stuff while being wildly entertaining, while pulling MJF away from this otherwise, like, ego-bruising defeat against Chris Jericho. One of probably the best bits of AEW
0: television all year in that sense. When they're
2: economical at the best, it's this and, yeah, couldn't have loved this anymore.
0: John Moxley uh, has a backstage promo setting up his match with Minoru Suzuki. Uh, he's in the jungle tonight, he says. You're going to die. Uh, and then we get Jamie Hayter versus Ruby Soho. Just great to see Ruby. Was Axel Rose from Cincinnati, like?
2: Is that the crack? I, I thought Welcome to the Jungle might be because of the Cincinnati Bengals. Oh, of course. Like, maybe so. that's, like, a reference to that. I don't know. Just while we're on that. Because Axel Rose is from Buddy, California, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Like, We've talked before about the sequencing of things and when they're supposed to matter. British, we're
1: sure allowed to be done.
2: <laughs> like the sequencing of things on Dynamite tends to matter. Like I don't want to break everybody's heart. Where was John Moxley in that segment? You know, like I know he's busy with Minoru Suzuki, but 2020, John Moxley wouldn't have stood for that. He's getting more and more pissed off, and he doesn't care about other people's business anymore. Yeah. And I don't think that's wasted. Mo- like to have John Moxley be right there in a segment straight after when his town was being slagged off and his people were being abused. He wasn't. There for them,
0: uh, Jamie Hater, Ruby Soho. Then, great to see Ruby Soho back being able to do stuff in a bloody ring. Uh, Jamie Hater, though, obviously has the power advantage, she uses that at the start. Um, Soho gets some offense in, gets some kicks in, but it's mainly Hater until we come back from the break. She uh, uses a head scissors to send Hater right into the turnbuckle, running knees, modified DDT, gets a two count. Uh, there's some sort of Facebook, I don't know what this was. A miscommunication, I think we're going to put it down to. They were trying to
1: do a poison runner, and it failed spectacularly. Commentators couldn't cover it. No. It's so bad when, if, you, if you're if you a commentator, and you're scrambling to justify why something gone wrong has gone wrong, if you can't even begin to think of the thing that was meant to go right, you know it was a total mess.
0: Anyway, uh, that allows, well, in the midst of all this hater- Gets back on offense, sliding lariat for a two count. And then out of nowhere, Soho hits what used to be the riot kick, wind-up kick, whatever you want to call it, for the victory. Post-match in slides, Reba, Rebel, and uh, Britt Baker. They attack, they beat it down. Riho tries to make it safe, but the numbers advantage catches up to her as well until Chris Statlander slides in with a chair and the heels bail. I mean, it fell
1: apart. It fell apart to the point where they just barely were getting back down the stretch and they finished. And I didn't think the kick, I don't think I finished, looked very good at all. It didn't look for me like it was capable of ending a match. It was a shame because it was some really nice work. It was trending upwards before it mm. completely fell apart. Like, I love when people use the ropes as a weapon. It looks like it knacks, it mm. looks like they are really hurting their throat. Like if we went in and ran the ropes, like people say, are oh, so hard and it really hurts. And that's been like sort of drilled into my head for my entire wrestling fandom. So to see someone use it as a weapon, I always think I'm just such a mark for that spot. And Ruby Soho's actual professional wrestling looked really, really good mm. before it fell apart. Like, I love just a reversal. Like, I love the space between moves. When she was about to get hip toss, and she was like, no, you're not doing that to me. And she just dragged her shoulder back. I love little nuances like that. Then it completely fell apart. Uh, the post-match angle was what it was. I do not need to see Reba wrestling matches again. It's such an odd thing that they think is good. It isn't.
2: Mm. Those are my thoughts. I think, in much the same way as the opener, I think the whole was better than the sum of its parts ultimately. Um, there is a, an attempt, I guess, at forging some alliances in the women's division in the way that they always do with the men and almost never do. It's always opponent of the week. We knew Ruby Soho was Britt Baker's opponent of the week. They're going to book this for however many weeks, and then you're going to have the title match. Now we've established an alliance between some baby faces. There is a friendship that has occurred. Yes it's all a bit of a contrivance right now for the benefit of this trios match because you were building into Britt Baker versus, uh, versus Ruby Soho. But down the stretch, does that not mean that, like, Ruby Soho could be there for Riho one of these days or there for Chris Statland one of these Like, you're just finally starting to tether together some relationships in this division that is going to offer you the same freedom that you get with the men. So I thought that was as successful as the match probably wasn't. Um, for all, Ruby Soho was great in parts. Those... Botches, those flubs, those miscommunications, cannot happen too often? Because she's there to be one of the more credible yeah. wrestlers they've got. Mm. It's very important, you know. We'd say this if there was a like a glaring botch in a Serena Deeb match. Some of the women in this division, full of like young raw talents, are there to be the safety net pro wrestlers. Ruby Soho is one of them. So ideally, you don't want too many of these going forward. Otherwise, that like the, that pedigree will start to be questioned
0: a little bit. I think. Mm. Uh, A couple of videos next. It was uh, Ricky Starks, Brian Cage. They're both sick and tired of of everything that's been going on between them. Cage still wants a one-on-one match, and Starks plans to prove why they call him absolute Ricky Starks. And then we go backstage, and the Dark Order are arguing, everybody stop fighting. Eve Luna says they're fine, and an Angels gets hot, and Jay walks in and tells everyone to act like a team, basically. And they're up next. They are facing... The pinnacle at FTR and Sean Spears is Evil Luno, Stu Grayson and John Silver. Um, John Silver, not in a good mood, not in a a, a together mood, let's say, because he blind tags himself in straight away. Get out, I'll take it from here. Um, He fights back after Spears knocks him down with a shoulder tackle, body slams him, pulls him into the corner, Then like hesitates before tagging in Stu Grayson. Stu Grayson and Evil Uno—they are kind of on the same page. Um, He uh, gets fought into FTRs or into the Pinnacle's corner, I should say. Uh, Takes out Spears though with his backflip kick thing, and he and Uno work together to hit the combination elbow drop slam for a near fall. Eventually, Silva's in there. He's uh, getting beaten down, but he fires up, suplexes him, goes to his corner, but uh, Cash and Spears knock off the rest of his partners. So he's on his own, and he fights off all three members, running kick, German suplex, but eventually the three-on-one disadvantage catches up to him, and the pinnacle hit a modified C4 uh, on him uh, for the quick victory. Grayson was trying to get in there to break up the pin. He's too late more sort of miscommunications There's bumping into each other as well in amongst all this post-match Evil Luno gets in John Silver's face Silver reacts Grayson and Alan Angel's there getting angry Colt Cabana tends there they're imploding basically and it's well Miller said it himself it's heartbreaking to watch
1: Ah,
2: it is I, so I dislike watching this as much as I like the inevitable payoff I think so I'm not that Asked about the Dark Order fighting at the moment, I'm only interested in Hangman Page putting them back together. Yes. You know, like, that's, which is a tricky thing because you can't have one without the other. You have to, and I felt it in the segments the other week as well, I was just like, oh, like, <laughs> but you really can't have the, the big nice moment without this. This is the grunt work of Hangman Page like having his final test as a, as a sort of bringing himself to back together in order to bring them back together to win the world title. So I, I, I'm fine with it, um, it's just it's not really winning me over. Um, I want to spend time for the umpteenth podcast in a row talking about how like Sean Spears is the like most class, fun guy, most fun guy in the Pinnacle. Like the Pinnacle are kind of on their ass. MJ is a softball, by the way. Yeah, with the chairman. What a popper! Like MJ's kind of over there doing his own thing. The Wardlow stuff is hot, but like the Pinnacle aren't. But Sean Spears is class, so I'll take that. I will just take that at this point. Um, he is putting so much into his. It takes me back to Cody's original promo. Yeah. Great player, coach guy, and it's I because he's really funny and he can just make the boring entertaining, and that's what I took away from this. Sean Spears is like Sean. I'm having as much fun watching Sean Spears as I used to have watching John Silver. That's where I'm at currently with this Dark Order angle. But you got to do it. You do have to do this for the for how hot the eventual Hangman Page rides back into town. Feeling of all of this is going to be. I just I'm not massively
1: into watching it play out. I was higher on this than you, but I echoed that exact same thing. Watching a building block pile on top of another one before your very eyes without feeling anything was yeah they have to do this. I'm bloody bored, rigidly, <laughs> and that and the acting's pretty not great. It's not like woeful to the point of it being risible, but you are watching people act. You can't act, act out a storyline on TV. So I was like, ah, I get the point. Um, but I had more time for this this week which I was glad about because I thought this was on its arse a little bit, uh, inessential concern. Sean Spears going, look, look, look. Doing a titty peck dance. Yes. <laughs> I've pissed myself on Sean Spears' rules. Yeah. Sean Spears' rules and he deserves his flowers. And look at this. It's <laughs> like, wait, wait, wait. Like, yeah, I, I need to <laughs> do my t-
0: started two minutes ago,
1: Sean. <laughs> <laughs> look, like I need to do my titty, titty-, titty- peck dance. Class. The exchanges between Dax Harwood and John Silver were mint. I need to see FTR versus Silver and Reynolds and, in fact, Uno and Grayson. Um yeah, Dax wooden, uh John Silver were just doing some lovely things in there. Even for like a minute at a time, mm. I still got the sense of how oh, they could work a fabulous little match together. So I enjoyed that. and um, I enjoyed the miscommunications, like they really thought about this. It's the kind of thing you expect from AEW, like they laid out this match very elegantly to get the story across. There was one moment that actually made me care. We've seen bad acting or not great acting, or I know why you're doing this, get to the point. Was it five? It just exploded into Evil Uno with like, a ground and pound attack. I genuinely felt like this elusive mm. moment where it's like, oh, you actually are in conflict here. You actually are wanting to fight each other at each other's throats, because he literally went at Evil Uno's throats, if I've got the combination right. An elusive sense of They are not just trying to tell me a story. They are actually trying to get themselves immersed into it. And so, yeah, I enjoyed this this week. But I echo
0: Hamlet's concerns. I did like what came next. They had uh, a sort of series of brief videos from everyone else who's involved in the Casino Battle Royale. It's still a terrible concept, but you had... Uh, like TJ talking about you know them dealing with Penelope Ford and the bunny and but them them reacting to it. Jade Cargill saying don't trust any bitches basically. Nyla Rose reminding us how bloody dominant she is and Thunder Rosa not going oh shucks oh, I got got close but she said she was heartbroken she was you know so disappointed in 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 not winning it she came so close but she's going to keep on fighting. And I like this as a sort of way to to remind us and reestablish quite a few people who were just eliminated on Sunday.
1: Yeah, from the positioning of the token women's segment to this actual follow-up, it's another small step, but they so often take another one back that I can't, in good faith, praise it yet. Mm. It's funny that when you say about the terrible concept, you kind of have to do this to get across the angles because the match
2: isn't that effective at doing it. Yeah. Like they were basically just retelling... What went on on Sunday, yeah. but you can't often see it because they're cut into the ramp or whatever it is, or they, they're focusing on the wrong bit within the middle of the match, but uh, yeah, I, I admire that they're doing that. Yeah. Better that than no follow-up at all, and everybody back on the
0: Dark Elevation. My memory of the match, as I look back now, is Nyla Rose eliminated loads of people, and then Thunder Rosa got eliminated by the debut in Ruby Soho. Beyond yeah. that, I was like, oh yeah, they had, did have some stuff with Penelope Ford and Bunny, which they built to, and what have you. And Jay Hoggill was pretty dominant, actually, until she mm-hmm. got screwed by Nyla Rose, but Anyway, um, well, I'd love to know your thoughts on what came next, Edge, because Tully Blanchard, I thought I was just setting up something here. He's talking about leadership. He's talking about Sting. He's talking about capitalizing on Sting capitalizing on someone else yet again whilst he's leading things. And he, he's like, right, well, I'll have Sean Spears with Darby Allen next week. And I think, okay, that's cool, fine, absolutely lovely stuff. And then he goes, at one point, I am going to fight Sting again. And I was like, <laughs> what?
1: Uh, I mean, that was my exact reaction to the. Content, and I'm not being funny with the delivery of the promo. It wasn't Tully's best work by some distances. I was like, some little idiot from Gateshead, England, criticizing a Tully Blanche promo. (laughs) I don't know who I think I am, but he seemed to get lost. Yeah, And then he recovered. But what he was trying to recover was this inexplicable, (laughs) (laughs) sudden, sudden beef with Sting. It's not that inexplicable, but you know what I mean. Like, they've worked matches together back in the day. If you haven't watched Sting... The one and with the Dusty RoboCop. If, shut up, man. <laughs> shut up. Shut up. If you haven't watched Sting and Dusty Rhodes yeah. versus Arne and Tully, do so. We're we talking about this Sting or the original one, Jeff Farmer? Yeah. <laughs> you, don't, this. You're too much of a nerd and an historian to suck up to him. So <laughs> don't do it. Um, look, it's weird, but I'm not not into it. I love, totally Blanchard
2: said like he was injured and sick for weeks after working that trios match with FTR. I love that he's willing to put himself through it again to have one more go with a stinger. And we haven't talked about this for a while. Um, I want Arn Anderson to have a look at this and question where he's at in like AEW and just take a look at the landscape again because they've e- like ever so slightly tiptoed near like they're not enemies, but they're not friends anymore. Mm. Arn Anderson's like more of a virtuous fellow in his older days, and Blanchard's only gone deeper into the dark side. Like play with that. That's all really, really fun. Again, like be the be the gatekeepers of wrestling history without actually needing to say that you are.
0: Fatal Four Way with Arn and Jake the Snake involved. <laughs> I'll take. I'll, I'll take the, all the combined age of that.
1: J.W. Don't call it a fatal four-way,
0: please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Varsity Blondes are backstage, um, obviously getting treated for what happened earlier on. And Brian Pillman challenge. Brian Pillman Junior. challenges M.J.F. to a match. It's going to happen two weeks time. I can't believe it's in two weeks. I'm sorry, I, it hit me like, like watching this. I was like, oh my god, it's only two weeks away. Um, Arthur Ash, of course, In come the acclaim. Max Castor reveals this Friday on Rampage he's got a match with Brian Pillman, which will be great. But me and Sid were chatting about this earlier as we were walking into work. I care more about Max Caster's rap. I'm so excited from hearing what he's been doing on Dark, for example. Yeah,
2: I checked out the Dark one and it was absolutely tremendous. It's like well worth going to have your way to see. Um, The pair of them have obviously a lot of fun with the obvious. But there's a certain like cell phone in there that you think he's got this. He's understood and he's ready to like start again and I what a perfect booking as a way to bring Max Caster back in it's going to be in front of that Cincinnati crowd that's going to be cheapy but again with a purpose of getting you know the hometown heroes over
0: uh, right next up the elite come down can we, do, we could just skip this can I mean, all shut up all it is up, is, man, his, is, that. That it is so Kenny so Omega and dick, Danielson man. in the ring I mean I'll just get Hampton's thoughts on you're <laughs> a
1: living gimmick I hope you're proud of yourself
0: oh, it's- <laughs> Hey, number one, watch harder. Um, we've got the elite. They come Can down. Can I the, just jump over it because you hate interruptions? <laughs> <laughs> Don Callis. Oh, they're, they all come down to the ring. Tony Schiavone. I think you said this earlier in the office. There was a. Was there an image or something of them shown earlier where he just looked like he did not want to be hanging out? Oh with no, the more, he spotted it. There was Sorry. like they were all just
2: like buzzing, just, just glad to be themselves. And Tony's like taking
0: all his like biliousness billiness, towards MJF and like transposed onto the super elite. So he's there. He's like, do this. Don Carlos just goes, give him a mic. Right, okay, <laughs> off we go. Talks about Kenny Omega being number one on the PWI 500. Someone should probably acknowledge him, shouldn't they, Sid? Um, All Out. <laughs> oh, my so pattern. All About the Elite.
2: <laughs> Did he say something like, thanks, everybody? Is that like Carlos' thing? Thanks, guys. Like, knowing how much this list pisses people
0: off every year. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> thanks for your votes. <laughs> yeah, that was thanks for your votes. <laughs> he says, All Out is All About the Elite. Uh, Nick Jackson Uh, introduces best friend, Adam Cole, who makes his entrance. Brilliant. It's just so great to see him in there. Uh, He comes in, uh, and he does the whole... All right, story time with Adam Cole, baby, which is inexplicably over-catchphrase in this office. I love this. And you think, okay. Uh, baby. Baby, <laughs> What are we going to do? What are we going to talk about? And he goes, actually, just before I do that, walks over to Tony Schiavone and goes, look, I know you like Britt Baker, okay, but if you even look at her the wrong way, I will slap those glasses off your face and whoop your ass, you nerd. And he just keeps saying, get out of this ring, nerd. Go on, hurry up, nerd. Get out there, nerd. Could you be any slower? Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, he gets to the the meat, of the thing here. He says, "AW is the greatest professional wrestling company in the entire world, and it's thanks to the elite. He says, look, I may be new to AEW, but I've been elite for a very long time. He says, for 14 years, I've been main eventing and winning world titles. I'm a -a once-in-a-generation professional wrestler, and now I'm with the very best. The Young Bucks, the best tag team ever, and Omega, a -a once-in-a-lifetime wrestler as well. And uh, now with Adam Cole in their ranks, everyone should thank the elite for being complete. And then he reveals next week, oh, as if things can get any better. He's going to be making his in-ring debut and everyone's going to see how elite he really is. Omega gets the mic. They're all pally. He says, oh, that sounds like a cause for celebration. But there's one thing I hate. It's interruptions. Of course, Brian Danielson's music immediately hits. He comes down to the ring. And Omega, before Danielson can do or say anything, asks the rest of the elite to leave the ring so they can just be the two of them. Uh, He invites Danielson into the ring. Danielson snatches the mic away from him and asks the fans, and Michael Sidric in particular, if they want to see Brian Danielson fight Kenny Omega. He says, look, Kenny, you talk about being the best wrestler in the world, but you're afraid of me. You're not on my level. Kenny Omega takes off his resplendent jacket. And, of course, tries to cheap shot Brian, who takes him down, puts him in the yes lock. Uh, the elite, of course, pile in, beat him down. Here comes Jurassic Express, Christian, Frankie Kazarian. They... Uh, even it all out Luchasaurus hoys Marco stunt onto them in the outside Jungle Boy hits this mad dive onto them at the, at the end and then who's left in the ring I don't know collecting his phone or something scrabbling around on the floor but Brandon Cutler the real star of the show and he hits the I always forget what the name of this knee is now I call it the running knee but it's got a proper name Busakai Busa knee is it? you've butchered it yeah what is it? I don't know at this moment okay <laughs> <laughs> he hits the running knee uh, on Cutler and the place goes crazy Sid, your thoughts
1: oh my god my my head's coming off man. (laughs) (laughs) it's Danielson and Omega we got literally one tiny glimpse of interaction and could they have physically timed what they did any better seamless counter puts them down to the mat Uh, god I need to see this match I need to see this goddamn match.
0: We talk about merch as well. Sorry to interrupt. but We were talking, we have Andy this morning, about just buying a white t-shirt because Daniel Bryan <laughs> yeah. wears it so I want well. I to
2: print a tiny AEW logo in the bottom corner <laughs> so like, like Pro Wrestling Tees can still get the like $40 off it. Or it's whatever. the
0: second best t-shirt that they've got now. They've got a 2.0 t-shirt. We'll still <laughs> go and buy it. Go and support the lads.
1: If you, right, do the work, it's an AEW vernacular, do the work, you establish this fictional universe that feels lived in that interacts with itself and feels organic and real. If you've got that world built, you can just enjoy the bloom of every flower in it. Tony Schiavone and Britt Baker's relationship is so natural, real, transposed on screen, but you know, it's a real friendship they have. And they've just allowed for that to blossom on TV because it just, in itself, it's this. Inessential thing that doesn't drive any plots, but it's just a nice thing to see. The chemistry's great. Have some comedic interplay with it, but it's just there, in a garden somewhere, in the world. And then you can have uh, Adam Cole, Tramp on the Flowers, and get over as a heel, which is going to be a huge challenge because he's the nicest guy on planet Earth, super talented, so handsome. Eh, you hit him a little bit, but he's Adam Cole, baby. You don't begrudge him for it. And he calls your man, the heart and soul, of this company, a nerd.
0: (laughs) I (laughs) bullied him until he leaves the ring. And you
1: think, you did? Like, it's the idea that he hates a wholesome thing.
2: I know. That it's not just the... Look,
0: it's Adam Cole. What's he worried about? What about Lewis as well? He's got Lewis at all? Yeah. Like his grandkids are all out. Lovely moments I saw on Twitter.
2: Adam Cole can speak, he could wreck my home with a click of his finger and I wouldn't be able to do (laughs) anything about it.
1: My wife's got this thing, I've told you this. like refuses to accept that, like, might have a celebrity crush. I'm thinking, well that limits my uh, top five. <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> my, my, my laminated my list to <laughs> the top five uh, you know I could probably hire up my uh, it's on the laminated list. <laughs> Cause it's allowed. Yeah. I'm not a loud one because she does not fancy anyone except me.
0: <laughs> and my missus likes, and you'll see the crossover here with
1: my don't name. say Brad Pitt, you asshole.
0: Henry Cavill and uh, Chris Hemsworth. I mean, there's there's obvious crossovers there because I can do a bloody X in and stuff
1: like that. I thought you were going to say one. I was going to say, which Chris Evans do you mean? <laughs> right My wife has had Idris Elba. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry.
1: funny <laughs> about that. No, I just... Do not I... have the same energy? Yeah. String a bell? No, I don't. <laughs> and we watched... Um, Bourdain. Oh, yeah. In Pittsburgh, and he interviews Colin Baker. I said, what do you think of him? Because I keep showing her, like, pieces that are wrestlers and hunks.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like CM Punk, Starks. Starks, yeah. Come on, like I want to add one to on my list. Someone saw one the other week on telly. What about CM Punk? <laughs> so oh, he looks like he's too full of himself. I so, said, well,
0: yeah. Like,
1: oh, good <laughs> read. <laughs> good <laughs> Fair. And she said to me about Adam Cole, Out of all the people you show me, he's the most attractive. And you still don't hate him because he's Adam Cole, baby. Yeah. baby. He's on both of mine and my wife's animated lists. Yeah, yeah. list, Adam <laughs> Cole. The th- the way the difference we
2: have when it comes to wrestlers, I don't understand this. Like my wife doesn't like like the big juiced up bodies, and I'm like there
1: rubbing my thighs. And I think like that works for Adam Cole as well. Yeah. Like he looks like a normal guy with his top off. But like in the, all the best ways. But I'm not making a facetious point that we can joke about and riff on. They do so well to just make it feel like a world that When you get an Adam Cole in, or anyone in for that matter, and they interact with it, it's real, it's thrilling, it's effective, because he needs to be a heel for now. And now he is. Wonderful. The physical timing of that glimpse of Danielson Omega was great. There was one little moment where Omega says something off mic, and Danielson says, Danielson says. (laughs) He's telling me it doesn't work like that here. They're telling us, the audience, don't worry, your hero is not just going to feel entitled to a title shot because that's not how it works around here. So there's a little reassurance there about oh, is he just going to come in. And at the end of the day, it does, who cares? It's Danielson. God yeah. damn it! Electrifying. The post match was great. A million matches once again. Exactly what it needed to be. Yeah, perfect. Um, there was
2: like lots of nice miniature details as well. Uh, Kaz being back out there, I thought he was like a kind of glaring mission on Sunday. I was like, oh, poor Kaz, and it shouldn't have. Shouldn't cars, we said this at the time,
1: beaten Doc Gallows? Yes. Because there'd be way more juice to the competition. He should match. still be on the journey, shouldn't he? Through yeah. the elite,
2: yeah. Like, they, they kind of have bodged that, but at least he was there. So that's nice. Um, I thought it was interesting that, and they maybe they don't care, and that's all we're supposed to think. But, like, there's Adam Cole, like, oh, Kenny Omega's the best, the Young Bucks are the best and Anderson are also here. Like, maybe that'll matter one day. Adam Cole is coming and he's like there. He's their real best friend. Like, was, they were hanging around with those two Yehous from Impact as J.I. used to call them <laughs> right there. Um, I love, I think I would pitched previously on another podcast, the idea that when you get the world title of Kenny Omega, that's the time to bring the trios belts and you have the elite. Because the Bucks don't need the tag belts, Kenny doesn't need the world title, and yet the trios belts become a main event concern because they're with those three. I would just as well as take Cole and the Bucks. So great seeing them together again. Not least in the wake of like Kevin Owens teasing his future just yesterday, bringing them three together if you are going to have trios belts or even just trios matches. I cannot wait, man. I cannot wait for the first, like, super kick party with those three because even when they were kissing him on the cheek on Sunday, I was bang game and now even more so. Like, the six-mans, the trios are as cool as the big, the idea of the blood and guts match or the four, like, eight-mans, whatever.
0: Like, those combinations are intoxicating to me as some of the singles matches. I cannot wait. Uh, just to run through what we've got coming up in the next few weeks uh, on Rampage, it's Pac versus Andrade El Idolo. And, uh, well, from what we've seen on Twitter, that sounds like a very tasty affair. A promo from Darby Island and Sting to look forward to. There's the uh, three-on-three match. Britt Baker, Reba, Reba? Reba, Reba. No one's called Rebel. a
1: Reba and everyone gets the name wrong.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Rebel and Jamie Hayter versus uh, Ruby Soho, Chris and Riho, And Brian Pillman Jr. versus Max Caster. Then next week, Adam Cole versus Kaz. Jay Cargill versus, God bless you, God bless me, God bless <laughs> <laughs> Darby Allin versus Sean Spears, and then Grand Slam, just the small matter of Cody Rhodes versus Malachi Black, and MJF versus Brian Pillman Jr. And it was main event time, Minoru Suzuki versus John Moxley. Timing issues in this one, wasn't there?
1: This was too cool to fail, except it pretty much almost did, and I didn't really mind that much. It caught his entrance theme off before. The... It, was, it was the oddest thing. I watch it on fight, right? I watched it on demand, not live. And I saw the time left, and I was getting a little bit worried because some of the segments felt like they ran long. Not in a bad way, but they just did. And I'm looking at the time, I'm thinking, they've still got to do the upcoming for Rampage and Dynamite, so that's longer now. There's a break. And there's a break in the match, and it was like on 1.46, one hour 46, and the entrances happened. They missed Kazi Nina Rare. It's not... Something that is going to fundamentally piss an audience off, like a botched angle or a rubbish defeat. But come on, it's a fan service promotion, and you missed that kind of unforgivable. And I'm watching it and I'm thinking, oh, there's not much time left for this. And it finishes with three minutes left, and half of the matches to the break. And I'm thinking, what on earth have they done here? Mm-hmm. And then, for the three minutes of the broadcast, I see John Moxley, our pandemic champion, a guy who Realistically, for a lot of people, myself and Hamlet included, genuinely restored and maintained our love of professional wrestling in the year 2020, not just because of the empty experience of the empty arenas, but wrestling revealed itself to be repugnant Mm. in 2020. No company, WWE, AEW, New Japan Pro Wrestling, ROH was probably the best at this, addressed speaking out adequately and transparently. And John Moxley was just a loyal guy. He wanted to buy a house for his wife and for his mother. And he was just there for us every single week. Given three minutes with the Cincinnati crowd. I preferred that to the match, if I'm being honest. Mm. There were still glimpses of the magic. Thank God Minoru Suzuki bled. If he hadn't, <laughs> there wouldn't been that one minute of, oh, this has reached its peak. But yeah. other than that, it was just weird. But i generous, but I love what John Moxley did for me in 2020.
0: Yeah, I think. Um I'll, I'll allow it because of everything that's preceded on this show and timings and what have you. Um, yeah, they batter each other early on, of course, forearms, boots. Uh, Suzuki's battering him, and then Moxley hits him with some elbows before we go into break. Uh, at one point, Moxley catches a soccer kick and bites Suzuki's face, to which Suzuki goes, Yeah, I saw what Kojima did to this, does exactly the same, returns the favor. They trade headbutts. They both go down, they hit forearms. Uh, Suzuki ducks under a lariat and puts him in the choke. Goes for the pile driver, Moxley fights out and hits a paradigm shift. Uh, This is when they realize, that you mentioned Suzuki's busted open at this point, but he kicks out a one. Uh, There's that spot where he's just reeling off numerous lariats from Moxley, but he's still still standing there. Uh, He hits a running drop kick as well to cut Moxley off. Puts him in the sleeper, but Moxley escapes, punches him, it's a big old paradigm shift. Nice angle on that to get the victory. And uh, as Sidge said, post-match celebrates with the crowd. Not what we were hoping for, but entertaining on, nonetheless, would you say, Hamflatt?
2: Yeah. And I know it no, doesn't always make for the best analysis, but I'll always go back to that thing that it should be, first and foremost, what you feel rather than what you think. And it's obviously subjective, so it's difficult. But I just felt a lot for what I saw briefly in the match and then what I got at the end. mentioned it on the preview yesterday. I did genuinely think this was going to be one of the last times we get... Pure of Heart babyface John Moxley because of where we're clearly headed with his character. Even his entrance still looks kind of pissed off with everybody. But you got that end sequence that just gave you that, yeah, that 2020 toast. Um he won't see it that way in the promos that we're one day gonna get. He won't see it that way at all. But it was nice to feel that as a fan. Um I love their exchange, they're such great natural opponents that even in the short bursts that we got when we should have had longer ones that were cut off by commercials and whatnot, um, I still didn't hate the overall presentation of the match. Same thing throughout like the overall presentation good, deeper dive, not so great, but a hot product you can you can buy nights like that and they certainly did here. they you know, I say they're buying it, they've earned it. Mm. Like you get nights like you get away with certain things when you're a hot product and you're deserving of like all the praise and plaudits that AEW you're currently getting. Um, I'll remember the John Moxley Cincinnati celebration probably more than I'll remember the Minoru Suzuki match and that's fine because
0: better to have a memory than nothing at all. Mm. A fantastic post- pay-per-view show though from AEW and they're going to follow up with Rampage of course tomorrow night which we'll preview tomorrow but let us know your thoughts on Dynamite on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE well actually they can follow all three of us you can follow Michael Hamflit at Michael Hamflit you can follow Michael Sidgwick at
1: um, Sidgwick happy birthday once again to Matt reigns and Sarah
0: indeed follow me at Adam Wilborn follow us all at WhatCultureWWE and as I said make sure you subscribe to what Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts we'll be previewing Rampage tomorrow reviewing it next week normally service will resume uh, and later on today myself michael sidwick and andy murray will be discussing who needs to jump next from wwe to AEW. so check out that get the table this afternoon but for now this has been the AEW dynamite review my thanks to the dadly boys thank you for joining us and we will see you soon